Since this will be the first episode of our Season 2 of My Awakening podcast, allow me to share some important thoughts with you before I introduce episode number 16. 2020 was a very difficult year for many, and creating this podcast provided an important purpose for me during a time that I was struggling with how I might become part of a solution to America's racial divide. I have been silent for several months now, as I have really struggled during our crazy election and inauguration season. I cannot overstate my belief that white America, particularly us older white Americans, have a critical role to play in reversing our long-standing systemic racism. This racism has kept our black community members from experiencing full equality in a country that promises liberty and justice for all. I hope you will work with me to make these more than just words in our Pledge of Allegiance. I would like to share with you a brand new feature uh, that we're making available in order to encourage and easily allow for a listener engagement in this podcast. It has always been my interest to have uh, you, the listeners, be engaged with this podcast, but because podcasting is a recorded medium and your listening is happening, happening at a different time than my recording, it took me a while to find the right tool that would be easy for you, the listeners, to use to, in order to engage with us. But I think I've now found that right tool. So I have added a feature that I recently found that's a self-recording feature that is available now on our website at myawakeningpodcast.com right below our logo. You'll see a recording button. If you push that recording button, it'll allow you to record up to five minutes of your own voice to send to us uh, in either um, asking questions uh, about the podcast, suggesting new ideas for new episodes, or possibly inquiring uh, of any of our uh, podcast guests any questions you may have for them. And then that will allow us to utilize your voice as a part of an upcoming episode, potentially, that could be included in an episode and allow for uh, multiple voices besides just mine and our guests to be heard in the podcast, making it a little bit more interesting to everyone, hopefully, and also allowing for listener engagement in a way that we haven't previously had. So please go to myawakeningpodcast.com, look just below our logo at the top of the web page, and you'll see that recording button. Please push that and uh, send us some information. Let us know what you think, give us some ideas, ask some questions, whatever comes to mind. We look forward to hearing from you and hope that you will engage with us. Thank you. After a winter funk and uh, several months of remaining silent, I'm really excited to uh, get this podcast kicked off once again. This is season two, and uh, so let's do this. Welcome back to My Awakening Podcast. 
This will be season two, and I'm excited to introduce the idea of doing more topical-oriented podcasts, and this will be the first of many yet to come. This episode number 16 will be uh, titled Racism and the Church. I hope you find this to be very worthwhile content. It may be a bit challenging. I warn you in advance, but uh, I hope you enjoy. So Antonio McLemore was my guest. I recorded this podcast a few months ago, but it's very relevant yet today. So let's get going. I'm really pleased to introduce uh, uh, Antonio McLemore to us here today. Um, Antonio and I have had some time to talk today, and also we met for lunch here a couple weeks ago. Had a great time and sharing, and so I've invited him to uh, come and join us on this podcast. So, Antonio, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, I think even before we get into myself, I am a firm believer that what we fail to honor, we lose. And so I, I just want to start by thanking you for sharing this platform. I think there's something special about people coming together and sharing their stories. Uh, I'm, I am a firm believer that we overcome, right? I'm a, I'm a pastor uh, and 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 faith is a huge component of, of my life, but we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So I think there's something powerful about us creating space to hear each other's stories. And I think it changes the way that we see the world because now I learn to see the world through your eyes. So thank you so much for, for creating this space and sharing. Uh, my, my name is Antonio McLemore. I am so honored to be here today. A little bit about myself. I am 33 years old. I am a brother I am a father and I am a husband. Um, I'm kind of a nomad uh, where uh, I'm originally from California, Sacramento, California. Um, a lot of my mom's family and my dad still live in California, moved to Tacoma where my mom was in a lot of ways running from kind of her history. There was a lot of my mom. My grandmother passed away when my mom was 16. And so my mom had, you know, me and my older brother at a young age. And so she was trying to create opportunity. And my grandmother was a traveling nurse. And so my mom had been in the Seattle Tacoma area. And so she wanted to get away from some of the, the you know, the worldly things I think that were consuming her. So we moved to Tacoma to start a new life. And we moved around like I felt like I was in you know, sometimes multiple schools every single year, you know, I'm at, I was lived in Tacoma, lived in Kent. Then we moved back to Tacoma. Then we moved to Seattle. Then we moved to Kent. And so in, when I was in seventh grade, we moved to, to back to Tacoma, Washington. My mom had bought our first house. Uh, by that time, there's four of us. And so I have, I have actually have four brothers, but three through the same mother. And we all have different fathers. So you could even imagine in, in that narrative itself that it that brought a certain level of chaos. Uh, but my mom was always an individual who um, w- who taught us how to work towards commonality, because if I tell someone that, oh, yeah, me and my brothers all have have different dads, then they're like, oh, so they're your half brothers. I'm like, what is a half brother? Right. Because w- we never grew up using that language. No, they're, these are my brothers as if we have the same, we have the same mom. And so like, it didn't matter whether or not we had the same fathers. And so, but when I tell people this story, they're like, Oh yeah, no, yeah. You guys had, it's your half brother. I'm like, no, that's my brother. <laughs> right. Um, I would like to dive into what you and I had talked about, uh, basically, uh, having conversation about, uh, racism in the church. Yes. 
And our initial conversation, you shared a couple of very powerful testimonies of examples of things that you had personally been involved with. Yep. And I'd like to turn the turn the mic back over to you again, Antonio, to maybe kick off wherever you think you'd like to, but yeah. uh, following kind of some uh, the idea of racism in the church. Yeah. Help us help us understand what what you think is going on there. Yeah, well, I think Joe, you just provided such a phenomenal um, platform. I think in in the ideology and in the process of how I think you address racism in the church. First, you started with an idea, right? Like so, through whatever personal dialogue, right, personal relationship with Jesus, you got an assignment. And it's funny how sometimes sometimes when we get an assignment, it's because we identify problems. And then, and then oftentimes like when, when we get caught up in being the solution, we don't realize that Jesus brings us to people, right? Like, so it's like, I I have this idea. I want to do this thing. And, and, and we, in our, in our minds, we, we are so fixed on the destination that we don't realize that God's in the people business. And so God has a way of bringing us to people to bring out our solutions, I, I work in a lot, I work in the education field. And so I do a lot of equity consultant work and I share this anytime I get an opportunity, um, like with educators, the word education means edu, So it means to draw out or to extract. And I always encourage people that, um, it is not our job to give people greatness. It's our job to extract the greatness that's already in within them. And I, and so God's in the people business. He's in the process of extracting the greatness that's within people. Would you say that again? Yeah. So I'll say it again. So the, the yeah, word maybe a little differently, but I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. So uh, so if you think about the word, the word education means edu. So it means to extract or to draw out. And so think about an apple seed. I don't have to convince an apple seed how to be an apple. It already knows how to be an apple. The DNA is already within the apple. I just have to put what an apple in its environment. I have to put it. I have to put the seed in the ground and give it space to grow. And so I think the same thing's true with people is sometimes we come to God as if we feel like we can, we, we need to fix people as if they're problem. No, God is in the people business of restoring what he's already put in them. And so I think if we're talking about racism in itself and the church's role and how we address it, I think the biggest problem is, is we're not following our savior's model. They called him the kindred redeemer. They called him Emmanuel, God with us. I, I love what first John says, right? It says, uh, you know, the, the word of God was flesh, right? And then it became, or the, the word was with, was with God and, and he was God. And then in verse 12, it tells us that the word of God became flesh and he dwelled with man or the message version says that he moved in the neighborhood. I think sometimes we don't have proximity to the problems that we're hoping to uh, resolve or become a solution to. And I, and I think, I think if we are going to address racism, I think we have to be willing to build strong, deep rooted relationships with the individuals that we're hoping to serve. If we want to create reconciliation with the black community and we want to address the original sin, then we have to have these deep uh, relationships with those communities. It's not something that I, if I live on the North end, I need to have friends that live on the East side in the hilltop. And I need to have these deep rooted relationships in order to tackle, uh, some of these, you're talking about, re, you're talking about problems that are, that are even beyond us, right? You're talking about generations oh, yeah. that have been going on for a hundred 
and plus years, 150 years, you know? So I think, I think we have to start with relationships because it's, I, I, in working in the church world and we, racial reconciliation is sort of the topic, uh, in, in church discussion. <laughs> and they typically bring me in the room and maybe not the first question, but like the third or fourth question is typically this, Hey, how do we, how do you, how do you connect with these people? Like, I mean, we, you know, we really want to just start, like, oh, yeah. So how, how do we do that? And it, and that seems so like such a complex idea. And, and I think, and I think that's the problem. <laughs> like, cause like we ask ourselves, well, how do we build relationship with black people? Well, I say like, do you own a dog? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I own a dog. Well, do you ever go to a dog park or walk your dog and take your dog to the park and let it off the leash and run around? I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah. Um, well, there are parks in these communities where black people live and guess what? They have dogs too. And what you should do is you should bring your dog there and you should. And then when you see other people who have dogs, you should make a compliment on how, how cute their dog is. Even if it's ugly, right? Just make, <laughs> like, well, isn't that fake? No, I call that intentionality. And you just keep doing that until you form a relationship and then you start hearing more of their story. And now when I actually understand the person that I'm trying to serve or, or I'm trying to become, if I'm trying to resolve a, a systemic idea, I now have become kin because I cannot serve something I don't understand. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think about this in a practical fashion, like as a husband, I cannot serve my wife. Well, if I don't understand her and I don't have permission to prejudge who I think she is, she, Understanding is this, that, um, I, it's like Kai Noah, whatever, what, uh, the, the Latin word uh, for know is to understand. And the idea of understanding is this, is that, that I arrive to a, to a relationship and I allow them to show me who they are, allow them to tell me who they are and what they like and their solutions. Oftentimes when we're talking about reconciliation, a lot of our white spaces come in with a lot of resources and they already have the solution. Now, even if you do, you will miss, you will inevitably destroy the solution because you're leading with the solution, not leading with relationships. Like this is why the Bible says in John 1, 1, 1 17 through 19, it says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So we understand that truth is essential to, to following our savior, that we have to walk in truth. I'm the life, I'm the way, the life and the truth. But we have to understand that his first, his first, assignment and was walking with humans who had human problems. And what does Hebrew tell us that he experienced every single transgression that we would experience. So he took on the very essence of humanity to experience what you and I experienced. Why? So that he could save us and redeem us. Jesus says, well, you, you know, the law, you know, you know, love God, you know, with all your heart and your soul. And, uh, and then he says, and then to love your brother as you love yourself. And I think this is a very, very critical dialogue in the race discussion where I believe the church oftentimes misses because, and there are, and I'm going to kind of attach it to even other stories and parables that Jesus shares. But then the next thing that Jesus talks about is the good Samaritan, which we all know, whether you're a person of faith or whether you're not, you've heard about the good Samaritan. And it's this idea about doing unto others, not just people who live in proximity, because I think this is where you start seeing these silos that 
that church communities create. Like you think about the Christian school, which the, it was always around, but you see the reemergence of Christian schools through the um, Brown versus board decision. When fam- now white families are saying, well, we, we don't want our children to be going to school. We don't want our children to go to school, our white children to go with these colored kids. So you see the reemergence. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to insulate, insulate, and we're going to isolate ourselves from the problem. And so now we don't have relationship. We don't have proximity. And, and, and then Jesus reminds them that it's not just about loving the people that you've conveniently placed yourself around, but loving your neighbor is realizing who are those people who are hurt and broken in our community that, that you walk by every single day. And we should do unto them as we would do unto ourselves. And when you're talking about racism in America, the problem even beyond the relationships. And the reason why I said relationship has to come before the truth is because we have to realize that as a society, not just the church, but our society, we have, we have um, covered and suppressed the reality and the pain and the trauma and the oppression and the hatred um, that, that was slavery. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that we know of in the last 400 years that has been worse than chattel slavery in America. And, and so if you were to ask a young person about the American history and how black people 150 years ago, the way that white people defined their wealth was by how many slaves they owned. And so you think about like these weren't. And, you know, you hear people talk about the misnomers of like, oh, well, they we fed them. We fed them three times a day. And they and but like the reality is, is like that's that may be a good scenario. But you're talking about people who were beaten and raped and were castrated. You're talking about people who were demoralized. Their culture was stolen from them. Their religion was stolen from them. Their language, their names, like my last name was given to me by a slave master. Think about that idea. Like I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity. No one in my family had the opportunity to choose their last name. My last name is Macklemore, right? So I, I I can literally trace my name back to the Macklemore plantation in Louisiana. Like there was something stolen from me that we have not done right by in our country. And we cannot come to a Christian God. We cannot come to the Bible and not address that. We can't, we, we, and the problem, the reason why we're not addressing it is because if I, if, if a, if the, whether, whatever, if a, if as a church, though, I believe one of the reasons why we don't want to address this particular issue and the way that it has to be addressed is because if I address the totality of the experience in which black people of the only race that are in America that have been brought here as a means of making white America great or making America great. If I address that, then I also have to address the reality that I benefited from you. And, and now we're now, now we get a little bit closer to what the biblical model for reconciliation really is, because we see this in Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a leading tax collector where he makes his money by doing what? By robbing from his own people. So he's robbing from his own people. He has this encounter with, with Jesus. Jesus says, you come down right now, Zacchaeus, and I want to come to your house. 
he has this encounter with Jesus and he says, if I've wronged anyone, well, of course you've wronged someone, Zacchaeus. That is your job. That's how you make money. That's how you have this beautiful house <laughs> because you're taxing, <laughs> you're taxing the taxers, <laughs> the people who, who are supposed to be, that's how you make your money. You're, you, you pay the taxes, but you're taxing the people who are paying their taxes. So of course you've wronged people, but this is what Zacchaeus says. Zacchaeus says, well, if I've wronged anyone, I will pay back, not just what I've stolen, not what I've taken, not only what I've oppressed, but I will give back a double portion and a triple portion. So this is, I think, where our nation is unafraid of. I think they're afraid of this conversation because one, if I acknowledge the history of, of our forefathers, right? Because it's an easy cop out to say, well, there are no slaves around and, and I'm not racist and I didn't own slaves. Well, that was my great, great grandfather. But then what we're, what, what you're not, what you're disconnecting is you've benefited from these structures and these systems that when the constitution was created, black folks weren't considered human. Oh, while I, while I agree with your assessment on this, uh, I would push back in one area. Yeah, go ahead. That is that you're giving you're giving me and white people in general yeah. credit for uh, thinking through a process. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. By claiming what you just said, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna claim uh, put myself on the line on this and say yeah. I never thought about it that much. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Thinking about the whole re- reparations is a big conversation. For it's sure. very challenging. Very afraid of that. But you know what? I haven't even I haven't even come to that yet. So true. I'm not even at that point to be yes. able to have that conversation in a meaningful way with my black brethren yep. or even other white people or whatever. I'm I'm still working. So true. To discover your lived experience yes. and really understand you, yep. and um, anyway, no, yeah, no, you, no, you, I, you've no. given way too much credit to no, agree. white folks for having thought through this whole thing <laughs> all the way to thinking about, well, how are we going to fix this? Yeah. It's no easy fix. I love, I agree with you. I love your first premise of. It's all a relational thing. I agree. We first must yes, develop relations. It has to be. It, that's why you have to have these relationships, because when we arrive to the second conclusion, right? Like when we get to start unpacking some of these truths, you have to have these deep rooted relationships so that you can they can help unpack the reality to them. Right. So we're talking in, in Acts chapter eight. The Ethiopian is doing what he's reading scripture. And Philip is like he's walking past him and he's like. What in the, do you even know what you're reading? And what does he say in verse 11? He says, well, how can I, unless someone teaches me? So you have to have the relationship because what happens is if I don't have someone to walk with me in this journey, then I just arrive to my own conclusion because that what you just said, Joe, I, I thank you so much for saying that right in and, and addressing and being authentic because here's the reality, white America for the last 400 years hasn't had to think about that. They haven't had to address that because when you steal someone's name, their culture, and then, and you think about there are places in this country, literally less than you're talking about less than 60 years ago where black people couldn't even literally enter, whether it be churches. My, my grandma is 79 years old. And she was telling me that when uh, there is a famous 
um, evangelist had just passed away. And she's like, oh, yeah, I just remember, you know, baby, he, you know, he used to come to our town. She's from Mississippi. And uh, she's like, yeah, I remember he would come in town and and, uh, you know, he would have these big revivals. And we just would sit out. We put our nice outfit on. We sit down and we just would listen from our backyard. I'm like, why in the world were y'all in the backyard sitting in the grass? She's like, well, you know, baby, we couldn't go to those. You, black people weren't allowed. So y'all wasn't allowed to go in here to gospel. Y'all wasn't allowed to go to the altars. No, they would have killed us. So you're talk. my grandma's 79 years old. And she's talking about growing up where she couldn't go to the altar with white folks and receive Jesus with white folks. What is that? Think about the ideology. My grandma is 79 years old. Yeah, that's only seven years older than me. Yeah, and I th- and she's like, yeah, you know, baby, but things have changed. And I'm like, not much has changed, Grandma. They let him. In, they let us in the room, but the ideology is still true. Is they still we still don't. There are two different gospels, because when I talk, when you know, when I start talking to the white church, when I, not because I obviously I work for one of the largest you know church organization in our AG churches in, in this region, and when I would bring this stuff up, they'd be like, well, isn't that the black church's problem? Shouldn't the black church figure that stuff out? Like, I, I'm not sure if I, like, if we're all reading the same thing, but I think this is all of our problems, right? Like, it's not the black church's problem. It's not the white church's problem. I think if we, I said, you guys have the resources. I mean, what, what, <laughs> what, this, I mean, you think about what, what we, what are the resources that we have on a monthly basis is what they have in a year. We could do, we, we could accomplish in one year what it would take them 10 years to do. And so it makes sense that we would collaborate, partner, and make, have deep relationships so that we could start resolving some of these issues. And, and so I think that's still the foundational problem. You're talking about, this is a conversation that I had with one of the most powerful pastors you're talking about in the country. I mean, literally this name carries weight in the church community and they still in 2020 believe that this is a black church problem. So if it's the black church problem, <laughs> Doesn't that sound very similar to my 79 year old grandmother who's telling me, well, baby, we weren't allowed to go because white church people, they handle white church problems and y'all black church people, y'all handle your black church problems in your, in your, in your own communities and your yeah. own backyards. But that we, we forget that racism is a human It's first it's a sin problem, right? It's a sin problem, but it's a human problem. That is a God issue that God's passionate about. You know, I could say um, the very very foundational kind of principle, I guess, of this podcast that I put out that's on the website and that I often use in my uh, opening and stuff is that I I used to think that uh, racial issues in America were somebody else's problem. Yep. And I and I actually literally have this on the website, and I say this. Mm-hmm. I used to think that mm-hmm. racial problems in America were somebody else's problem. Yep. And then I asked, did you ever think that? Mm. And then I go on to say, I no longer think that way. Since Trayvon Martin was killed, there was something that changed in me yep. that no longer allows me to think that way. I've come to realize that racial issues in America are all our problems— yep all of our problem, yes. white and black, yes, and that to uh, place it uh, just in one nice, neat package somewhere else and push it off is not how yeah. this is going to get fixed. Yeah, to, to, blame the, <laughs> to blame the community that you brought, that 
that were brought here. Let's just say they even they weren't brought. They were stolen to to ask to put the problem in their hands to fix the solution, <laughs> like to to create their own solution. Goes back to your original premise. Like it's interesting, like that. You know, you talked about the idea of putting the the ownership back on white folks because they've never had to think through that lens. I think is the same thing that what has been happening. And, and I think that only happens because there's this huge separation of relationships because white folks aren't thinking about this problem. They're not thinking about this issue. And then fundamentally what the society is saying is as soon as we bring up a problem, it's like, well, go fix it, the problem in your own community. Not realizing that that white America was responsible, like they, they are the victimizers. And so the victimizers have a responsibility of restoring those who were victims and that's why relationship has to be fundamental. Like did, did, did Zacchaeus think that he had robbed and had, had taken advantage of people prior to Jesus showing up? I don't, I think he knew it, but he wasn't prepared to do it until what? Till Jesus entered the equation. And, and let's just say for the sake of conversation, he didn't think, but let's say Zacchaeus thought he was justified in everything that he did. But then one encounter with the savior of the universe, the God, the standard of God walks into his room, walks into his house. And he says, you know what? I've wronged people. And I think the church stops there. Oh, brother. Well, you know, we, you know, like when, you know, the not Trayvon, but when George Floyd, the George Floyd situation happened and, you know, the, the murder. And I got so many calls from my white friends and they're like, we're just so sorry we're sorry, brother. We're, you know, like, you know, my white brothers and sisters anger, you know, they all, we're just, we're hurting with you. And I'm like, man, stop telling me that you're hurting, please. I mean, I, I, I thank you for the call, <laughs> but please don't waste your energy calling me and telling me that you're hurting. And if you're going to say, sorry, this is what I want you to say. Sorry for, I want you to say, sorry for being silent. I want you to be sorry that when I was telling you, that this was going on for my 33 years of my life that you silenced me. I want you to say, I want you to say, sorry that you never did anything. Mm-hmm. I want you to say, sorry for being a fraud, right? Like if, if like, if you're going to be sorry, be sorry for that. And I think sometimes we're not willing to have that conversation that the original sin of this country was so horrific. And for the last 400 years, we've been trying to cover it up. I mean, you go sit in a civics class or a history class today and you find out how they're talking about racism. There's a school not even a mile from from your house that celebrates Colonial Day. There's a school and and they the and the head of school is called the headmaster and the, these black and they have black children that walk in the class and and they're celebrating Colonial Day and asking them to come to school wearing their pilgrim outfits. Now, if little history lesson, colonialism, if we're talking about the historical content of it, little black boys and little black girls would not be wearing their pilgrim outfits. They would be chained and they would be not hands and their feet and they would be on trading blocks. And oftentimes when when these when these slave ships arrived, they would be put in the bottom of the biggest buildings in in the culture or the region. And those were oftentimes churches. So the churches and the origin of racism in this country, right? Because we have to realize the concept of racism is a, 
as a social construct. It's, 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 this is a modern day term that we've developed right. in this country. And so the suppression of the church and the permissive being permissive where these, where thousands of, of church people, I mean, of black slaves are arriving in America and they're stored in slaves. I mean, in the bottom of these churches and we literally have white people singing about liberation while there are people, while there are Africans on the, in the bottom of in the pits of these churches, hearing songs about a liberator named Jesus while they are in chains. And there's a school to this day, a mile from your house, a Christian school, by the way, teaching little black boys and girls to show up to school to celebrate colonialism, wearing pilgrim, their pilgrim outfits. And I have to remind those individuals, <laughs> Hey, if I'm okay with, let's celebrate it, but let's celebrate it for what it really is. And what happens is that's not just the denigration to our black brothers and sisters. We also are talking about our indigenous and native brothers, but think about what that does for the, to the minds of our white boys, our white brothers and sisters that show up and they're like, Oh, what's the big deal? Why are you guys talking about racism? It's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, we brought you from this, that God forsaken place of Africa, right? Like my wife is African and it's funny when I hear not just black people, but when I hear white people talk about Africa, like it's this God forsaken place. And then I talk to people who actually live in Africa and they're like, there are places in Africa and within their own region in their own, that are more beautiful than anything that you've seen in America. And he's like, so I don't know the story or the history that we hear that we're teaching black people. But think about how this steals like where we're perpetuating the racism, where we're teaching black people to hate themselves. That's all a white created narrative. Yes, yeah, it's all a white creative narrative. But if we actually went and, and saw, you know, and got our put our hands in the soil and saw how beautiful Africa is. I'm Africa is I'm not saying there's not issues out there. My wife's family's from Zimbabwe. So there's a lot of issues going on there. But guess what? You you arrive to Africa and Zimbabwe and guess what? For the first time in your life, the biggest issue that you don't have to tackle is racism. And that is liberating in itself. And I think that is something historically that which when you're talking about some of the truths and, and taking part in the wrong, that's what Zacchaeus was saying. Zacchaeus was saying, I've realized that I've made decisions that has impacted children's children, children's children. So think about this. You're a tax collector and that mother was going to use that money to feed her children. But now she has to pay it to you. But my baby still need to eat. So what is she going to do? She's going, I'm going to go prostitute myself. This is stuff that was going on during the biblical time. So let's just think about narratives. So all of a sudden I'm giving you this money because now you're double taxing me. And then now because of, I still have this need, I'm going to do some, what they call it maladaptive, right? I'm just going to do what I know to be true. What I feel like I can do. And I can go sell my body and I'll get bread for my son and my daughter. So Zacchaeus is realizing this, like, oh, wow, look at the harm that I've caused and I need to fix it. But I think I don't think you can arrive to that conclusion without one relationship and two without Jesus. I, I just really think I, I really think it's hard to arrive to that conclusion. That level of empathy is a, is a God thing. I think, you know, Joe, I asked you that question earlier. You talked about like being a bridge builder and I'm like, where'd that come from? And you're responsible. I, I think it just was a God thing. Like I, I think we are, we need more bridge builders on both sides, 
because I have black friends that are convinced that there's not a good white man in the world. Not one. And like, if you, if you knew my reality, they're from down South or like there are places today. I have a, a pastor friend that went down South and him and one of his pastor buddies, black, you know, some of my friends, white, he's, um, two pastors go down South and they're at this convention and they, they're driving in somewhere where they have no idea and nowhere where they're supposed to be. They walk into the black side, the black side of the community and every, everything stops. They get out of the car and the front desk lady is like, y'all not from around here, huh? And they're like, nah, we, nah, we're not from around here. We're from Pacific Northwest. They're like, oh, well you're good on our side. But if you would have walked on to the other side, they probably would have burnt your stuff down and y'all probably wouldn't have made it out of the city. But this is still strange because we don't do this here. We're talking about 2020. This happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, so like when I have friends that tell me there's not a good white man in the world, I understand that perspective, but we need bridge builders that are saying, man, there's a, I think I believe that there are a lot of great white people who desire to tack and to address racism, but they don't have the relationships to know how to do that. They don't have the, the understanding, the gospel understanding that this is a Jesus thing, not a political thing. It's not a black lives matter thing. This is a Jesus thing. And, and they, they have to work through their cognitive dissonance where they've been lied through, through their own history books lying. Yeah. Because when I told that educator about colonial day, you know what the head of education said? He said, as he said, is it white people's job? to teach you're talking about the head of education of an entire school. He says that white people's job to teach black people, their history. I said, first of all, you're a school and your job is to educate people. Someone's history is being taught. And guess what? It's, and it's not black people's and it's not even your history either. That's not real history. And so, and not only that, but black history is American history. So I think there's an education piece that has to become consequential because that's what relationship grace and then truth. Jesus, because there were teachers of the law who had a problem with Jesus's truth. And, and if you think about Pharisees, what, what was Pharisees job? Their, their responsibility was to decipher the truth of the law. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, you've been lying to people for generations about this truth. That's not what I meant. That's not what my father meant. And he starts like dis- destroying the narratives that were used by, by Pharisees, these Christian leaders, right? I'll just use the term. These, these, these people who, these judges for, for the religious law were instituting lies to the people that became oppression for the people and liberation for, for them. Cause he's like, you're putting these burdens on people that you yourself aren't lifting. And I think Jesus came and he deciphered what real truth is. I think we have to have relationship and then we have to have a real understanding of the world that we live in and how we arrived here. Right. I think like there's, there are so many different biblical narratives. I mean, I literally like when I read the Bible, it comes alive to me and I see so many solutions and I'm like, Oh yeah. If we just read, if we just read the Bible through a different lens. Now to your point, originally I've been following Jesus for 12 years and it took me 12 years to get here. Right? Like, but I think that's why it's like, we have to realize that addressing racism in our country, reconciliation is a long game. And it, I don't read two or three books and I figured it out. So like as a black man, I do have to be honest that sometimes I want solutions fast. 
I'm like, dude, just stop killing us. But I realized like, that's a good idea that it, it took someone a generations to arrive at their ideology. And I need to be just as intentional with engaging with individuals who don't get it as much as I want them to do and engaging and changing it. So I think yeah. that, that we're, we're all on the hook on this. Like this isn't just a white problem. Like I don't get to just say, Hey, yo, white folks go figure this out. Stop killing us. Stop, stop, you know, redlining us, stop throwing us in prisons. Like I do have to say to some degree that we need individuals that are, that are building bridges. At this point in the podcast, I asked Antonio if he would share a couple of his thoughts regarding what we might be able to do to uh, become part of the solution. And this is what he shared with me. Uh, there are local th- there are local things that we can engage with. There are a lot of people that are doing this work. So I would say using your resources. I have a friend that always says, like, white people just don't show up and march with us. Bring your checkbook too. <laughs> right? I always think that's funny. But I think the reality, though, is I think is there are local organizations that are doing this work. They just don't have the resources. You don't know about them, but they're doing this work and they are so underfunded. And and so, like, for example, myself, I, I have developed an equity leadership curriculum that I first time ever done. And as far as I know of in this region, two, five, three, I'm working with at five high school and we are developing the the principal told me that they're having that. He's like, man, I just have a heart for some African, our African-American student body. And he's like, and I, I want it to be known in Washington state that if you want to develop the next black leader, I want them to come from our school. He said, but some of our students are struggling with their identification of not just their blackness, but even on this campus. And I said, well, representation, who do you have that looks like them that represents what you desire them to be? And so I've developed a curriculum and we are underfunded, right? I just will say that, but, but there are, I'm doing this work and there is an, uh, there is an organization that's actually partnering with us. And so like, we have a lot of great things, but people may not know like that. There are a bunch of people like myself that are, yeah. that are, we are, we are doing this work because we don't, it's not just about white folks developing, you know, anti-racist white folks. It's also about, about black, the black community having the resources to develop our black leaders that are going to be building bridges because I have a group of students and literally, I mean, all my students, three, five and up, I have a 4.0 student. I mean, these kids are great. Some of the greatest leaders in the state of Washington. And they say, why do I need this? Why do I need to be here? And I tell, I told uh, four of my students this because they all had that same ideology. I said, well, one day you're going to be in a boardroom. And you're going to be an executive and somebody's going to look to you and say, well, you're black. Speak for the black people. Cause that happened to me at a church. And I'm like, well, I don't speak for every black person. And then all of a sudden I became the black leader. And I said, if you're not prepared for that conversation, it will take you down a very dark road. And so it's important that you are aware of not only the, your, your racial or your black identity, but it's important that you're aware of how it will spew out in your leadership. And and so when everything hit the, you know, with all these, you know, all these with, you know, COVID-19 and all everything that's going on, literally all of my, my yeah, 4.0 students, the they perfect told, storm year, right? Yeah. Right. All like, of my students are like, Hey, we didn't feel equipped. And so I think to myself, 
if you're listening to this call, fine. I like for the if you're if you are giving to global, you know, things that are like big national things. That's awesome. That's great. But find people that are doing this work locally and support the work. Find out how they can support. The, uh, there's an organization that's partnering with us and they're going to give, they're going to help support some of the work that we're doing that for only a year. They can support some of the work in just one school for a year. But he said, we just don't want to give financially. We want to be able to support through volunteer hours. We feel like we have gifts. So I would just say support locally organizations um, that are doing this work. And I think through relationship, you will find out other means and ways that you can be a solution to the problem. I think it's all through relationships. Go and live and partner with people that are doing the work and in doing the work with the people that are doing the work, you'll find out how you can do the work in your own life. Yeah. So. All right. Well, listen, I really appreciate your sharing your heart on so many things here. Yes. I look forward actually to having you back. Yes. I would love to. And I would like to maybe explore some more specific kinds of things. Yes. Um, we'll let these things kind of churn and see what yes. develops. Yes. If you're listening to this right now, push for push for leadership or push for dreams.org push for dreams.org. That's a way that you can support some of the work that I'm doing. Uh, push for dreams.org. And that's not the number four. It's F O R four. So push for dreams, push for dreams.org. Dream. That's how you can support some of the work that we're doing. And uh, my, my partner, Dr. Gaines, or my, I said partner, that sounds weird. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry. My, that's my, actually my cousin and, and really good. He's my best friend. And, uh, we've collaborated on this, on this great journey of, of elevating our community. Hmm. So, uh, I think we probably can, uh, wrap this up. Yes. I know you've got another engagement <laughs> yeah. here. Busy so, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I really thank appreciate you, you coming. Although some of the content you just heard may have been challenging, I hope Antonio's perspective on racism in the church brought you greater understanding of some racism issues you may not have thought about. In this second season, I look forward to creating two topical-oriented podcasts monthly that I hope will help us to better understand other perspectives on important equity issues. I urge you to subscribe and share this podcast with anyone you think may benefit from this content. Would you please try our new, very intuitive, self-recording feature on our website just below our logo at myawakeningpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, ideas, or any questions you may have for me or any of my guests. The voice content you may share with us could become a part of future episodes. Remember that working together, we can move closer towards liberty and justice for all. Thank you for listening and engaging with us. Come on and tell me something. Just get it off.